Welcome to the online teaching ministry of Dry Run Baptist Church. For more content, visit us online at dryrunbaptist.org. Good morning. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. And if you have kids, you understand that what I'm getting ready to do is a faux pas. It's something that shouldn't happen. Because what I'm going to do is we are going to talk about Bruno. And if you have kids or you've been forced to watch their movies, you you know that we don't talk about Bruno. (laughs) And who is this Bruno? Well, our kids have replaced Frozen in their house with a new movie. It's called Encanto, or excuse me, Encanto. You're welcome. And in Encanto, there is this magical house in which that everyone has gifts and powers. Except there's one member of the family who has gifts and powers, and, and somehow this individual is able to tell the future. So what, what happens to Bruno? Bruno tells them the bad things that are about to happen to them before it happens to them. So because Bruno told them about bad things before they happened, he was shunned by the rest of his family to the point to where we don't talk about Bruno. He's the member of the family that we don't talk about because he tells us about bad things before they happen. So the issue Is instead of taking the warning about the bad things that are happening, they shun and they push it away and they'd rather not talk about Bruno. That's a problem that we might deal with here in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 when Solomon looks out at the world and he says, there's something very bad that is going to happen to you. Let me tell you about it. You're all going to die. Now we have two options. We either shun this discussion like a family member that we don't want to talk to anymore or we glean wisdom from the very fact that he tells us what is going to happen with certainty before it happens. I am going to argue that we ought to get wisdom from this as opposed to avoid this discussion all together. So here's how Solomon sets all of this up in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. And we touched on verse 1 last week, but he said, the, the, the deeds of the righteous and the wicked are all in the hands of God. Whether it's love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. So here's what that means. That means that the people who are righteous and wise, the people who are trying their best, all of their life is in the hands of God. And if you were to look out at your life and realize that your life is in the hand of God, and if bad things happen to you, you could be led to believe that God is your enemy because of the bad things that happen to you. So if your life is in God's hands, is he our friend or is he our foe? Which one is true about God? 
if our life is in his hands, is he for us or is he against us? Because I'm looking at all this stuff going on in my life and it is a lot of it is evil. So therefore, could he be my enemy? If my life is in his hands, could he be against me? And, and what major event is he talking about that would lead us to question whether God is our friend or our enemy? We die. We die. We all die. That's what he says in verse 2. He says, it is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who, sacrifice and, who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. So here's the first thing we see. The elephant in every room that we walk into, including this room, death happens to all. Death happens to all. That's what's making him reevaluate. Is God my friend or God my enemy? Because I look it out and the wicked die and the righteous die. The, the devoted church member who is passionate about the place as, and is faithful as the electricity to the person who avoids the church and every Christian they ever meet like the plague. Both of them find their end the same way. They die. Death happens to all. Sinner and saint all die. Verse 3 says, this is evil. This is evil. That all of us, regardless of who we are or how we live beforehand, die. Speaking of evil, you know what else is evil? The hearts of men. The hearts of men. We have figured out that we're going to die. And what do we do beforehand? We go kicking and screaming and sinning to the end. That's what we do. We live as wickedly as we can. He says our hearts are full of evil. And after that, we go to die. You may think, wow, <laughs> I'm six feet from the edge. And I'm thinking maybe six feet's not that far down. Man, why... Is death this wicked thing for wicked people? Is there any hope? Is there any hope? Right? We, you all have been patient with us as we walk through Ecclesiastes and we hear Solomon and he goes, Hey, uh, happy death day to you. Happy death day. See, it doesn't have the ring to it. It doesn't do it, right? Like, no. But like, <laughs> there, we're here in Ecclesiastes and it, it, it's... It gets dark and takes turns, and here's one of them. You're all going to die, and the wicked and righteous alike, and you're wicked while you live. Is there any hope? Yes. Look at verse 4. But he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. Write that down in Tell it to your spouse, whisper it in a sweet moment. A dead dog is better than a, <laughs> a living dog is better than a dead lion, right? He's the weirdest life coach that we've ever experienced. In Ecclesiastes, he would be an unemployed life coach. But what, do, what, what does that mean? Well, 
if you think about it, he's not talking about the pure AKC certified full bread thing you call a fur baby at your house that you pose pictures with, do all that stuff with. He's not talking about that. But see, in that day, a dog meant a completely different thing. It meant something that was wild and scavenged and ate out of your trash. He's saying a living one of those is better than a dead lion. And a lion is, is the king of the jungle. It was, it was the king before the movie. It was a symbol of the house of David in Israel. He's saying the very fact of life gives hope regardless of your status regardless of your status so that means if you're on the bottom of the food chain having to scavenge people's trash if that's how you live your life the very fact that you're living your life gives you more hope than the most famous dead celebrity Life has hope because you're alive, not because who you are while you're alive. The very fact that you're joined with all the living, that means you have hope. Elvis made $53 million last year. I'm enjoying my honey bunches of oats for breakfast. And he didn't. People that he doesn't even know got that money. You see how a living dog like me is better than a dead lion like him? And so are you, right? Because you're attached to life, and therefore in life there is hope. This matters, right? So death is coming to all, and instead of trying to die like a, a lion... We need to understand that death is coming to all, but the, uh, those of us connected to the living have hope. So regardless of status and possessions, there is hope because we're all alive, according to verse 4. And what do we do in light of this announcement that death comes to all of us? We take it seriously. We take it seriously. We take life seriously because death is happening to all. And here's the problem with that, beginning in verse 5, is that death takes from all. So death comes to all and death takes from all. From our perspective, under the sun, the living know they'll die, but the dead don't really know anything. Like we don't know what they're thinking or what they're dealing with. This is just from a human perspective, right? Ecclesiastes is written from life under the sun, meaning life here apart from God in the black and white, not the color that above the sun creates. He says everything they've loved and hated and everything they're jealous of is gone and they don't really play much of a part in the land of the living. They don't. So from a human perspective, every earthly thing you get fired up about, everything you're passionate about, everything you put on your bio, on social media, all of those things, they don't really play much part in the here and now after you go away. And forever, you won't be a part of what's going on under the sun. 
So, what do we do? What do we do about this? Well, what's he tell us? He tells us because death, because death is sure that we should enjoy the little things. We should enjoy the little things. That's what he says in verse 7. If you look at it in your Bible with me, he says, Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking from your head and enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life. So here in verse 7, Solomon stops talking about death and he starts talking to the living. So perk up if that's you. He's talking to you beginning in verse 7. And you'd think right off the bat that his advice would be the opposite of this. You're all going to die. So you think he would go straight to live your life for the biggest and the best. That's not where he starts. That's that's not what he does. He doesn't say uh, to make an impact with your life or to live a legacy, leave a legacy here, make a mark on things, devote yourself to the most important task. Not yet. He doesn't say that yet. That's not what he says. But he says, go eat with joy and drink with a merry heart. God already approves of you doing that. You have a license to enjoy the little things in your life that come from God. Later on, he says, these are our portion, meaning like you've been given these things. Enjoy them. That's what you should do. And then he uses a few things that are outside of our culture. He says, let your garments be white. And don't let your head be lacking with oil. Go get some white clothes and grease that bad boy up, apparently. But in this culture, he's talking about dressing up and celebrating. So put on, put on a nice shirt. Shave if you do that kind of thing. Comb your hair. Your wife wants, wish you, wish, wishes you did anyway. <laughs> right? Celebrate these things. Dress up in the nicest clothes you have. Shower. Shave, dress up like you're going to a party, dress up and enjoy your life, and enjoy your wife. Verse 9. That just doesn't, that's just not good advice because it rhymes. That's just good advice. Meaning, and, and like I was talking to somebody before this, this doesn't mean like all this is is for husbands, right? Enjoy your wife. Wife, suffer. Suffer, suffer, suffer. And if you don't have a wife, suffer, suffer, suffer. That's not what this is. This is like th- this is an example of the principle. So if you're if you're widowed, divorced, or uh, single in some way, this isn't talking about like the only people that have enjoyment are the ones that have wives. But what this is talking about is enjoy who you have, enjoy who you have. So what you have, food, you got food, good, enjoy it, dress up nice. To eat that can of sardines, you know? Get the kind with the mustard. Or spam or whatever your your fancy is, right? 
but enjoy, if you're, if you're married particularly, right, enjoy your spouse. We, we know this elsewhere, like in Proverbs 18.22, we, like, I was speaking this verse, you know, like I was speaking life with this verse or whatever. When I was single, be like, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Proverbs 18.22. It is an example of that your spouse is a gift from God. They are. Enjoy your spouse. Enjoy your wife. Enjoy her. Enjoy your husband. Enjoy your kids. Enjoy your brother, sister, your your cousin, your family. You see, this isn't about marriage here. What's the context of enjoying your life with your wife whom you love? You're going to die. You're going to die. This is urgent enjoyment. Enjoy them while you have them. There will be a day that you do not have them anymore. One of you will die, maybe, before the other. Enjoy them while you have them. Enjoy what you have and who you have while you have them. This is wisdom that we could avoid, and then we go ahead and take them for granted. Right? We take them for granted like they'll live forever. Right? Are you treating your spouse like they're going to live forever? Are you treating your kids like you are going to live forever? Are you treating your family like you're going to live forever or they're going to live forever when the truth of it is, enjoy them because you're not going to live forever. Enjoy them, they're not going to live forever. That's what he's saying there in verse 9. This vain life is what you have, meaning it's a vapor, it's... It's here to, it looks like it has substance. It's like chasing after the wind. It looks like a thing. But when you grab it, there is smoke and you can't hold on to smoke. So what's vain and a vapor? The time you have with your family. It looks substantial and it looks like it's going to last. Don't shun me like Bruno, but it's not going to last. It's not going to last. And I don't tell you this to rain on your parade, but to rev up your engine of enjoyment. Not to dampen your party. His point is get the party started and get it started quickly because it won't last long. Get your get those clothes white and that hair oiled. You know what I mean? Like put on some nice stuff and eat and spend time. Have Sunday lunch or have, have people over for dinner. Eat with them because you always won't get them. Enjoy your life with your wife whom you love. All the days of this fleeting existence that you have. This is a call from the scriptures to enact a change in our life where we stop taking people and things for granted like we're always going to have them 
like they're going to live forever. They're not going to. The same event happens to all, the righteous and the wicked. And unfortunately, that same event happens to everyone you love, including yourself. So as we look at the first nine verses, we see that we should not take for granted the little things in our life. So you wake up tomorrow, you spend some time with the Lord, you make some coffee, close your eyes, and drink that in. And you call somebody, or you plan a dinner with somebody that you love, because you know you might not always get to do that. When my grandfather was close to his, uh, close to dying, I was helping take care of him. We walked out on the, the porch and he started looking at the flowers and he started noticing things that, I mean, he was, he was in the Navy. We, we couldn't even hug. That's how big of a man's man he was. Like, we, <laughs> like we wouldn't even hug, you know, like, I, of course I got him. You know what I mean? I hugged him whether he liked it or not. We wrestled. It was more manly, you know, but, but like, he was like, man, aren't those the prettiest flowers? And he started noticing things out on the porch. It was just the strangest thing. I didn't really get it at the time. But you know what? He was close to dying. So he was doing this. He started noticing things. He stopped to smell the roses before they died or he died. I'm saying we know this already. We know this ahead of time. That this this is what happens to us. The righteous and the wicked, we should enjoy these little things in our life. Enjoy the people in our life. Our kids aren't always going to be that age. One day they're going to grow up. That's what they tell me. You won't always have your grandparents. You won't always have your friends. If you're older, like you go to more funerals than reunions, you know. And that's the only time you start seeing people is at the funeral home. Like, that's how life goes, right? You get to a point to where you don't see people and you don't talk to them, but you see them at the funeral home. And I'm saying that's not right. That's not right. That we should enjoy who we have, according to verse 9. So he expands this, and we see the beginning half of uh, verse 10 here and his argument looks like this he says whatever your hand finds to do do it with your might for there is no work or thought or knowledge in wisdom and sheol to which you are going so what your hand finds to do this is talking about the opportunities that you have in your life so because death is sure you should enjoy the little things And you should invest in the big things. You should invest in the big things. So here's what's going on here in verse 10. The first emphasis is don't take for granted all these gifts that God has given you, but enjoy these things while you have them. While you have them. That's the key word to all of this. While you have it. Because you won't always have it. And here, he's saying... The opportunities you have 
in front of you to do. These are not, right? These aren't the little things anymore because he's saying to, to do them, what your hand finds to do, do it with your might, right? Like throw yourself into it. This is a different size thing than what he's ha- talking about in verse 9 and previous, right? Should you throw yourself into your drinking? No. Should you throw yourself into your eating? No. No. You shouldn't. This is, this is changing tone here in verse 10. He's not talking about little things anymore, but, but opportunities, big things that you have. He's saying you should invest in them. So little things, do not take for granted those little things that you have. And the, the big things that we're talking about here, do not procrastinate in them. Do we have any procrastinators in the room? Don't wait. Don't raise your hand. Do it later. Okay? You don't have to raise your hand right now. You can do it later. Just, just wait on that. Don't worry about it. Just You can raise your hand here in a minute. You'll, you'll get another opportunity to raise your hand. Just wait. He's saying don't procrastinate with the opportunities that you have in front of you. Now, let's say you, you, you had a doctor's appointment and it didn't go very good. And there are people every day who get these appointments. And, and, and you found out in that doctor's appointment that you, weren't, you didn't have very long to live. What would you do? Would you go skydiving, Rocky Mountain climbing, 4.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu? I don't know. That's a Tim McGraw song if you're not clued in on that. But like, so you're faced with that question. You get a, you get a, appointment that you don't like and and you you found out that that you're dying why did that make it into a country song because it happens every day the deception for all of us is that we already that that that's not going to happen to us or that hasn't already happened to us just because a doctor has not told us you are dying that does not mean that you are not you are you are dying now what would you do right now if you knew you had a short time to live how would you talk to your spouse differently what would you be investing your life in what would you be doing if if you knew that you had a very short time to live How would that change the decisions you make? What would you be devoted to? What would you be committed to? How would you spend it? Right? Like Tim McGraw, would you go be a rodeo cowboy and rocky climb mountains? Would you spend it all for these worldly pleasures? Is that what you would do? If you found out you were dying? We're looking here at Solomon's argument and we find out that we do have a short time to live. We do have a short time to live. We do that. I remind you, that that's what he's talking about in verse 9 about your life being vain. That's not just meaningless. It means it's a puff of smoke. That's still what he's talking about here. So he's saying that you and I have this expiration coming And if it really matters, it can't be put off till tomorrow that you don't know 
you're going to have. Right? This isn't eating and drinking anymore. This is the opportunity that your hand finds in front of you. Do it with your might while you have it. That's what you should do. Do it with your strength while you have it. So if you struggle with procrastination, you need to know that your opportunities have expiration dates and you miss them, right? You can miss them. That's what he says on the second half of there, right? So that's why we invest in the big things because he says, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol or the land of the dead to which you are going. There is a time, there is something that you have to do that your hand finds to do. Do it with all your strength before your opportunity goes away because those opportunities are not there on the other side to do the things that we have to do today. talking about life under the sun from a non even non-spiritual perspective but all of us who are christians we can't read verse 10 like people who aren't christians jesus put it like this in john chapter 9 verse 4 we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day for night is coming when no man can work there is a time coming right a work that we should be doing and a time coming that will stop all of our opportunities for work and the opportunities we'll have will be gone that's why we should invest invest in the big things right now jesus is talking about it from a spiritual opportunity meaning he said we should do the works of him who sent me so we should do the works of the god who sent the sun, while it's day. Because there's night coming when you can't do it anymore. For the unconverted, the lost, and the unbeliever, the one running their own life as the enemy of God, they're they're worried about missing out on money, business deals, worldly opportunities. Best case scenario, they're worried about missing out on Time with their family. Best case scenario. That's what they're worried about. But we as Christians, we have different things to do while we are here. Different priorities. We look at big things differently. We pick different things that we see as big. They don't see these. They don't understand these. He's saying we should work the works of the Father because night's coming. We won't be able to do it. Ephesians 2.10 speaks of the Christian. He said, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Meaning God created you in Christ if you're a Christian and he gave you opportunities, jobs to do that you should be walking in them. So we read Ecclesiastes 9 differently than Jewish people even, right? We read these like Christians in which that God created us, gave us something to do and a way that we ought to be living our life, created us in Christ to do that. Now, a little misconception. Preachers and singers are not the only gifted people in the church. They're just not. 
It takes the whole body doing the whole work. It just so happens that they, the Lord lets me stand up here and there's a couple steps that raises it off the ground so you can see me in case I was incredibly short. Fortunately, I'm average height. But the point is, all of us have works, right? Ephesians 2, is he's talking to Christians. Hey, are you created in Christ Jesus? Yes. Well, God has prepared works beforehand that you should walk in them. Not just us who are up here, who walk up on the platform, but everyone has something to do before they expire. I'm saying the big thing that you ought to be doing before you expire is the thing that God has prepared beforehand that you should do. That God is the one who creates you and assigns you a job for his kingdom in his local church body. And that's what you ought to be doing before you die. You best be finding out what that is and giving it all you got because you don't have long to do it. Let's not pretend this thing goes forever. It doesn't. Life is not a bad sermon. It feels like it's never going to end. Life is a vapor. And it ends quickly. It ends quickly. So now we figure out what God has called us to do. We give it all we have. We pour our lives out and we die with an empty tank of gas and the pedal to the metal before hand. Why would we do that? Because life is ending quickly. Verse 11 says you can eat right, live right, do all the right things, be the fastest, most successful, wise one among us, and time and circumstance will happen to you. So there in verse 11, you see that people start, that the argument is, again, I saw under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. That means you can isolate yourself from death by your strength, youth, money, wisdom, and you still lose in the end. You can't isolate yourself from death. The fastest one doesn't always win the race. Death always wins the race. The strongest doesn't win the fight. Death wins the fight. The wisest doesn't always come out on top. Death comes out on top from a human's perspective thus far in Ecclesiastes. So what happens is you think you've insulated yourself. You're strong, young, healthy, wise, intelligent, rich. What does Solomon say about you? Verse 12. For man does not know his time like fish that are taken in an evil net. And like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. So why should you enjoy the little things and invest in the big things? Because the net always wins. The net always wins over the fish. You are soon to be captured. You're swimming along and you think, man, I have this many years to live. I have this amount in the bank. I have this good insurance I'm this fast, I'm this strong, I'm this wise, I'm this rich. And while you're going on counting your money, you get swept away by death. 
You get swept away like a fish in the net. It catches us off guard. So we're taking things for granted, we're procrastinating, and then we're swept away like a fish in the net. Isn't that pitiful? That that could be our life. That could be our life. We're fooled about this expiration. I was listening to a podcast the other day, and they're, they're telling you that you have, uh, that there's this large conspiracy in the world. There's a large conspiracy going on. And you know what this conspiracy is? The expiration dates on your food. Supposedly it's a legal thing. To where lawyers go, okay, this normally goes bad. This, this milk normally goes bad 5% of the time this far in. We don't want to get sued and kill people, so we're going to go ahead and put this expiration date on it. The only thing that's highly regulated is baby formula. Everything else, according to this, this says that it's, 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 it's a charade to try to prevent you from eating it and suing them. That a lot of things can be eaten and drank after the expiration date. Wow. It's amazing. The expiration date isn't the end. It's not the end on your carton of eggs. You should put them in water if they float. This is, <laughs> they're, they're rotten. Regardless of what it says on there. You see? And this is not medical advice. I'm not a lawyer. Anyway, but, you know, <laughs> void if prohibited blackouts not do, do apply available in all our areas. Anyway, but that is a false expiration date. But you know what is a true expiration date? Yours. 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 There is a date on the calendar of God that marks the end of your life. And you, you're not going to get past it. It is not a charade. It is not a sham of some way to go on after this. There is a definite end to it. And you, like a fish, are swimming and the net will come and grab without your consent and with finality in that moment. Jesus says this in Matthew 13. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into the containers but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That means your expiration date has big things at stake on that moment. You see, the, the net of death will catch every single one of us and God will separate the evil, evil from the righteous on that day. That day is a separation. And if you're not a Christian, let me say some caveats to what I said earlier. You might be the strongest but death has the final say. You might be the wisest, but death has the final say. You see, that's not necessarily true. Because death might have this final say over your life, time on earth, but there is one who has a final say over death. You see, God is holy and righteous and just and perfect in all of his ways. He is the God who created everything. 
by the words of his mouth, he dwells in an approachable light. And when he speaks, the earth shakes. He holds the water in the hollow of his hands. You see that God right there created man in his image. He created us, male and female. He created them. And they rebelled against him. They rebelled against him. They, they thought they were swift and strong and wiser than he. And they plunged our race into sin and separated us from God. Instead of capturing us, gutting us, killing us immediately, God became a man in the person of the Lord Jesus because God loved sinners. He loved the rebels. He loved those separated from him. He loved the world and he gave his only son. The Lord Jesus lived the perfect life and died on the cross and rose on the third day, victorious over death, hell, and the grave and everything in between. And he, my friends, has the final say on life and death and everything in between. So the strongest, fastest, swiftest, wisest, richest among us will still die. But if that person lived trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, then the Lord Jesus Christ will raise them from the grave forever to be in the presence of God. And death does not have a final say because death has been defeated. Just imagine how Ecclesiastes chapter 9 would be different if it was written after the empty tomb. Because everything we see in here is temporary from this point forward, right? You should enjoy the little things. Yes, you should. You should invest in the big things. Yes, you should. Why? Because your life's not going to last all that long and your death is coming soon. You should invest in the biggest thing in the entire universe. The glory of God among all the nations in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the very biggest thing. The salvation of God offered to sinners. So if you're not a Christian today, you need to turn from your sin and invest in the biggest thing, the most worthwhile thing in the entire universe, the God who created you. Stop wasting your life, turn from your sin, and trust in Him alone. Because He alone defeated death. If you are a Christian, I give you the same advice that Solomon has already given us. Don't miss these little things going on in your life. You, you won't have them for long. Enjoy them while you got them. Enjoy who you got while you got it. And pour your life out solely for the purpose that God has created you to do. That's how you can stop procrastinating. That's how you can stop wasting your life. You invest your life. Right? This sounds like something Dave Ramsey did. Like, So don't ask where your money went. Tell your money where to go. Thanks, Dave. That's really great advice. You know what's better, better? Don't ask where your time and your life is going. Tell your time and your life where you want it to go. That means live intentionally. Connected to your God-given purpose. So don't take things and people for granted. And don't put off things that really matter for a day that you don't know you're going to get. But invest it in the big things, the God-sized things, meaning God's purposes in the world. 
That's how we would live differently because of Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the truth of your scriptures, that we have very precious few minutes left of our life, regardless of our age, that it passes like a shadow. We ask that you would give us grace to pour it out for you faithfully, devoted to you, your church, and your causes in the world. You are the only one worthy of us spending our life for. So don't let us take for granted the little things you've given us, like our, our meals, or the people that you've given us, like they're going to live forever, because they're not, and we're not. Let us spur one another on to good works. Let us work the works of him who sent the Lord Jesus while it's day, for night's coming when we can't work. God, give us grace to work. In Jesus' name, amen.